Hi, it's Angela McKinney, and welcome back to the Untangle and Thrive podcast. So today we're going to talk about shame. <laughs> shame. The brutal forces, chaotic forces of shame, and how to create environments to discharge shame. You know, I'm not going to say there's this simple way through shame. Shame is the sticky place where our souls get entrapped. It burns our skin. It is excruciating to manage a body of shame. When your body is holding so much shame, you really will do anything or want to do anything to get out of it. It is behind all addictions, numbing, drinking, cutting, overeating, under-earning, under-being. It drives voicelessness and a lack of feeling safe to be seen and to assert what you need. When you think about it, shame is a conversation that we need to be having. We need to be safe to have. And we need stories, I think. I think stories of of what it looks like, the different faces of shame, as well as how to help discharge it. Often we get caught in these rigid responses to shame, which internalizes just more self-hate. It's that fix it, what the heck is wrong with you? Who do you think you are? And it enslaves the re-traumatization that initially possibly created the shame to begin with. And so I always say there's the bad Nike commercials, right? Just do it already, right? And then there's the healthy Nike commercial where you're really embodying a comforting, nice, come on, you can do it. Let's move into it which is how we do unwind shame. You know, that Nike commercial was always a trip for me because I had such a brutal internalization of self-hate and trying to fix myself to anorexic you know, measurements. The rigidity of that is not safe. And so the just do it approach can create more trauma. And we know now so much through the neurobiology of trauma resolution that we want to match sort of our shame states with intense alive states and not, you know, going and doing acid, okay, people? Um, more of how to embody and become more alive in your world, in your environment, with nature, with the things around you, with the people around you. And so I'm going to talk today about that, what structures of what structures we can maybe add into our life to help us unburden shame and also the different faces of shame so that maybe you're seeing shame a little bit differently. I, for anyone who's been following me on this podcast, know, uh, you guys know, I've had to, I've held a lot of shame from my particular environment. And it's funny because I had different groups of people in my childhood and my dancing friends and my theater friends would never peg me as being the muted, colorless, immobilized, just let me disappear um, 
the, the, the people who saw me at school, so to speak, right? I had two very bifurcated realities as a child. The theater for me was my, I always say it saved my life. On one level it did because it allowed me to unleash. It allowed me to feel color and embody voices and expressions and drama and trauma and mastery of my body on a certain level. And so I was kind of wild on the theater. I was daring. I was brave. I, when I look back at the, the only things I would ever really get cast in as far as movies go or shows go, were playing killers or prostitutes. I could never play the nice girl next door or the pretty girl. That was too close to me. And so my shame of um, just trying to be in my body was not available. So it's interesting, right? So for me, it was dirty and ugly and intense and over-the-top comedy and um, larger than life. I needed these vehicles of larger than life to just taste my humanity. And then off that stage in the so-called real life of day-to-day, of school, of making friends, of, of family, I was shut down, colorless. I was always trying to bleach myself, my nature. I wanted to disappear. I didn't want to be seen. And I couldn't inhabit my body. And so this led to very complex problems. And what was the trigger for me was very young. There were lots of triggers along the way when I look back. But I think that a body of shame is a body that can't receive. It is a body that can't be seen. So I could hide in my theatricalities and my performances and my characters on stage, but I had no way of I didn't, I, I just wanted to disappear. I had no, I wasn't, I wasn't a DID, disassociated identity disorder, which would have given me maybe more strategies to try to be other things in my private life. I just wanted no one to see me. So when I was 15, I was at Beverly Hills High School and I was working, I was dancing a lot at that time. And at Dupre's Dance Academy. It was like the place to dance in the 80s. And Jackie Slide, a choreographer, brought together a group of us, Eddie Garcia, Kiyosha Simpson, Melissa Bremner, myself, and we we danced on auditioned for Star Search. And we we got on the show. And then we were on the show for 13 weeks. So every week you win, you have to go back and do it again and go back and do it again. And it wasn't, it was taped live, but it wasn't shown live. So there was a backlog, right? So by the time it aired, we had already we were on our fourth show, for example, or something, our eighth show. So so it started to come out once we finished, once we won, and I'm at school and I'm this girl from Tennessee who'd been bounced around four different high schools. I landed at Beverly Hills High School. Everyone is looking at me. Not only am I Southern and wearing, you know, having an accent and dealing with all of that drama, but now they want to talk to me. 
Now the teachers want me to speak in front of a classroom. Now the principal wants me to talk to 1,500 students about my experience on Star Search. So this was un this was violently traumatizing for me. Now people can be like, what? That just doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make logical sense, right? You work really hard, you become successful, you have a little bit of success, you celebrate it, right? Well, ah, not for a body of shame. No, there was no way I could show up for that. And I became feral, feral. That was a weird noise. My phone has all of a sudden decided to record. It woke up for some reason, but I became feral. I wanted to kill people. I wanted to scratch their eyes out. I wanted to just hiss and howl like a coyote. I was so triggered by this visibility that I destroyed everything and anything I possibly could. And the sense of, I didn't act, I acted out in that I never showed up for any of those events. I created drama. I created car accidents. I created, I became, you know, I didn't, I stopped dancing. I started doing drugs. I started drinking in privacy. I just started to cut myself and purge and throw up and everything was violent. It was all just this scream of violence trying to get out of me. And of course I didn't show up for anything. And of course I never went to a dance studio again. I quit. I was done. That was it. <laughs> and there she goes, right? So because none of that got addressed and I didn't have the support in my childhood I just went into such a self-destructive spiral for a decade or so. I remember crawling into therapy when I was about 18 or 19. I don't even know how I got to therapy. It was the mental institute. It was the mental clinic at Cedar Sinide. And I was, it was as though my body was just screaming, no more, no more, no more, no more, no more. And drowning in a sea of chaos. And under it was just excruciating shame. I remember crawling into these support groups with women. Of course, I hated women. I hated, I wanted to kill every single woman. I was Ali Sheedy in the breakfast club. I was just hiding in my hair. No one could see my eyes. And again, just body of shame wanting to hiss. I can't explain it other than that. And I remember saying my name and having almost a nervous breakdown. Just saying my name, people. So here I am in my mid to late 20s. I'm going to this women's group, I don't know, every week for about five years in West LA. Every time I said my name, I cried. And I remember one day, it's in my body, I just remember this day, where I finally got through saying my name without crying, and the entire group of women clapped. They all clapped. And I was like, looking at them like, why are you clapping? And one of them's like, you said your name without crying. And I'm like, oh, horrified, right? Horrified. And of course, shamed. Oh my God. 
I, I am 32 and my great accomplishment of the day is getting through my name without crying. But you guys, it was, right? It really was. And so I speak to this because I have such a visceral understanding of all of you, any of you who know and feel the burns of shame. I always say shame is like a burn that never quite goes away until you start learning how to gently, tenderly help it and not fix it and not need to get rid of it. But when you start to interrupt the cycles of shame, of this unconscious recreation of those shame baths, right? That's what I talk about in the Untangle Method. The work is really locating those maladapted, even small little behaviors that we have with our credit card bills or our debt or our clutter that we're starting to wake up to a belief system that we may have about what we deserve in our life and helping ourselves grow some new capacity to put ourselves in new environments where we can discharge shame, not only in our internal experience in our home, but even in the external world. Okay, so that's now what I want to talk a little bit about. For any of you who struggle with relationships, right? With being seen, with earning money, there are great 12-step programs for under-earners called Under-Earners Anonymous. If you have debting issues and you're tired of just trying to get the right debt repayment plan, right? (laughs) There are so many strategies out there in the world that are great. But if we're not dealing with the what what the complex problem that's creating our problem is, which is what I'm trying to help people get access to, our problems are just attempts to solve other problems, right? And if we're not curiously opening those deeper waters to understanding why we're in the life we're in, why we're in the money chaos we're in, or the under-earning chaos, are the overweighting, or the undereating, or the whatever chaos, if we're not curiously landing in that deeper water, the symptoms, you know, yeah, we can maybe do self-will for so long until we say fuck it and crash and, you know, give up on ourselves. That's the, That's such an old pattern, you know, rigidity bonds with chaos. I always say this, they're married, they're a bad married couple. So the idea is to shift this internal self-talk to create safety, to get more curious with why you're where you are. And 12-step programs, there's so many variations and branches of them. And I'm not here to promote them. I'm here to just educate you to free options that are available and that are really helpful for bodies of shame, if you're really struggling with shame. Eating disorders, right? Overeating, undereating, dieting, food plans, the chaos of managing food. When you are obsessed with what you're eating, what you're not eating, what da, 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 you aren't able to build much outside of that. And the will that it takes to think about food and the obsession of food and the, the chaos of food, 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 steals from you the energy needed 
to address your shame body, right? To break out of a shame body. So breaking out of a shame body is, is one where we're gathering skills to build new experiences that help us connect to our value and our contribution. At the end of the day, shame keeps us stuck in immobilization. I think it was Jung who said, shame is the swampland of the soul. It's sticky. It's it's like we're tr- the immobilization and we're stuck in it. And so the unwinding of shame, the little bit of unwinding of shame, bit by bit, meaning moving into contrary action, moving into environments where you're sharing your shame, you're discharging your shame, you're not alone in your shame, you're becoming just safe enough to be seen just a little bit more in a new way. That could be with a therapist. That could be with a coach. That could be with a friend. That could be with your spouse. That could be, you know, in any multiple groups, group therapy settings, but that there's a safety and there's a sense of community or safety for you to become just a little bit more seen in whatever you're struggling with. So that's one thing I want to say and support and encourage everyone really to locate one additional place where you think you could help your body discharge shame. And it could be an exercise class, right? It could be learning something that would get you to another place in your career. I recently applied to get my doctorate in integrative therapy And it felt so amazing because that's really a trauma repair for me. It's a a place of shame where I wasn't able to finish something I really wanted to in my late 20s. And my body at the time was too, it, it still had way too much shame in it and trauma in it. And so it wasn't available for me to really receive what I wanted. So I spent this life for 10 years kind of splitting collecting a lot of financial knowledge, being a financial support and service and helping people heal for free. And I straddled that for about 10 years until my own personal trauma recovery work came into um, helping me integrate my talents, my skills, and and what I really wanted to do and as, as sort of helping people versus what I thought I should do hell, I was going to do it. And I couldn't really charge people to to heal them. So I had to, I had to justify it and and turn it into a finance thing. And, and, oh, it was just exhausting and, and unfulfilling because I was martyring myself to death. So returning and get finishing my doctorate is a repair. So that's a perfect example of my continuation of wanting to repair my body of shame and trauma and resolving and healing and continuing to grow. It takes on many different forms. So pick one that would be a returning to you to maybe finish something that you started that would feel good to finish. It could be your tax returns. It could be um, opening your bills, but doing it with a kind, loving way that you're tending to something that you really are longing and hungry to achieve, right? So it could be losing 30 pounds and that could be um, moving into exercise more or going to a support group and not being alone in your journey with your body. So I'm encouraging everyone to do that. The other thing I want to say is that mindfulness and somatic practices 
are so helpful to bring into our daily life, right? And that often getting present, we're so trapped. Our bodies are sh of shame are so enslaved to the past, right? And they're recreating the pain and the trauma of our childhood and these insidious ways, whether it's under-earning, deading, hiding, however, all those complex forms of hiding, right? So if we can start to get more present and we start to do that, I try to really help you do that once we locate that organizer self, right? The one who sort of creates space for a new experience. So one of my big mismatch messages when I um, untangled my kids, my mudroom was if I, because I was in so much shame about, I could never match clothes, boots, gloves. I was damsel in distress showing up to, you know, parent nights and teacher conferences and getting my kids to school with, with the proper gear. And so I had this shame around my mudroom and I would attack it. This was a long time ago. Put it together again and attack it. Put, and one day I was like, why am I not doing the untangle method here? And I did it. And I turned that clutter into this evil stepmother <laughs> who was like talking to me. You know, I theatricalized it, which helps us locate that mismatch message. And so the, the message was, if I get my shit together, hundred percent, and I meet the world with with full responsibility. What do I imagine is going to happen? And I let that theatricality of her voice be like, "If you get your shit together, no one's going to love you. You're going to be all alone. You're going to be all alone and worthless." And just locating that mismatch message of the oppositional forces, right? If I get my shit together, what do I imagine is going to happen? If I get out of debt, if I get into a successful body, what do I imagine is going to happen? There are insidious mismatch messages right there, people. If I get really seen in my life, what do I imagine is going to happen? Well, mine was, you're going to die. Well, really? Am I going to die? Um, so there's where we start to wake up and get more present with that organizing, wise presence that starts to come online. And then from there, we get to go, wait a minute, if I get my shit together, Am I really going to be unlovable, unworthy, abandoned? And it, it caught my breath and it made me, and I, and I get this with so many people I work with, the addict and mesh system of codependency and sense that if we really get well, we're going to be abandoned. No one's going to be around that we were so trained into not being well, staying stuck, needing people to rescue us because there was this distorted sense that that was my only value, was staying in a helpless state. Then people could rescue me. But if I didn't need to be rescued, I had no value. Now, you can hear how crazy this all sounds, but in my body, it was biologically trying to secure love and security. That's what it was trying to do and my value. And yet it was bifurcating all of it. It was cutting myself off from really knowing my value, creating my value, right? So we do the untangle method to create the shift and wake up to more presence of the why 
why we're in these unconscious pattern cycles, and how to start working with it a little bit differently. And as we open that door right there, as I opened that door when I untangled that mudroom, another vision was allowed to sort of be brought into focus. Another associated meaning was allowed to start linking into, oh, actually, it's when I'm going to be able to meet the world with full responsibility that I'm going to restore love and connection, that I'm not going to abandon myself anymore, that I'm going to become more lovable, more worthy. And from that, I got access to a vision, a vision of me embodying this sort of new identity, right? That I can be successful and lovable. That in my old system, those two weren't available. It, it was a mismatch. Success was a trigger to my need for love and security. And so it was a tripwire. It was a threat. And our bodies aren't going to um, <laughs> move into threat if that's um, so traumatizing to us and our security and belonging story is so intense that we will do a lot of things to keep it in play. But it wasn't helping my life today. And I think anyone can see that, right? So then we're, we're waking up, right? We're waking up to more presence. And as we start to do that, we start to pull from the world other memories, and I could start to then start to pull eyes of other people who've seen me where it wasn't so triggering to my body. Even animals, right? Remembering experiences with my grandmother, experiences with my aunt, experiences with nature, with my animals, memories that allowed me to feel being seen, felt okay good enough. I could handle it. And those memories help stir and discharge the shame ones of all the stories of I can't handle it, I can't handle it, I can't handle it, blah, 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 right? And so getting more present allows us to work with memories in a new way and then more aliveness so that we are connecting to our feet touching Mother Earth. We start inhabiting our body from the feet all the way to the head. We start using color and our imagination and creativity with nature. We start seeing things we didn't notice before. This is all healing people. This is all somatic mindfulness helping us discharge shame through becoming more awake, becoming more alive, becoming more synchronized with nature and our value. And so that is where I'm going to land. So I thank you for this journey today. It was intense, but hopefully from it, you've been able to locate one new thing, one new environment that could help your body discharge shame and bring in more aliveness to your experience. All right, people, have a great day. I'll talk to you soon. Bye.